And welcome back to Restless. My name is Father Joseph Gill, priest of the Diocese of Bridgeport, Connecticut, and you've joined us on this episode along with Lauren and not one but two very special guests. We'd like to welcome Sakile and John Mitty, the man, the myth, the legend. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Father Joe. It's good to be here. So these are two of our young adults here in Stanford who have been very active in the young adult community, and they're actually both leaders in the uh, C4C, which is Crossroads for Christ. It's a young adult community here in town. It's uh, started in Connecticut and starting to go nationwide, which we're very excited about. But we invited them here to talk about a a topic that's certainly on the minds of many people, certainly in the newspaper, and certainly uh, kind of burning within our culture. And that's the question of of racism. So Kile, originally, you are from Zimbabwe, correct? Yes. So how long have you lived here in America? It'll be six years in September. Okay. Yeah, so okay. it's been a while, um, but I grew up in Zimbabwe. Everything about me is Zimbabwean. I was born in America, so I have birthright citizenship, but everything about me and those who know me know my culture is, is Zimbo all the way. So after six years, do you feel like an American? or Sometimes. Um, my family say my accent has changed a little bit. Oh, really? But my American <laughs> friends still say I have an, a Zimbabwean accent, so I don't know. I feel like I'm in the land of it's a beautiful accent it's a beautiful accent thank you thank you but yeah sometimes i feel american and sometimes i still feel uh i'll always feel zimbabwean i think because i moved here when i was an adult so all my formation um stages happened in zimbabwe so sure i'll always have that with me but i'm starting to assimilate a little bit more as the years go by yeah and John is originally born and raised here in Stanford, mm-hmm. but his parents were from Haiti, correct? Yes. Unfortunately, with the recent assassination of the president, you know, that's uh, a big loss to us, but truly grateful to be a Haitian American. Mm. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And certainly, you know, over the course of the past couple of years, we've been hearing a lot in the news about racism as an issue that's been raised not only within the Catholic community, but in the wider community as a whole. And... I just, you know, especially, and, and Lauren, you're included in this discussion too. So <laughs> Happy to be Hi, here. Lauren. Do what I can to contribute. <laughs> but, you know, in these recent discussions of race, I just want to hear from your personal experience of how prevalent you think racism still is in society. You know, certainly we've made many strides in the last 50, 60 years, but, you know, do we still have further to go? What, what's been your experience? I think that's a great question. Um, my experience personally, I think that we're doing really well as a nation, I think, when it comes to racism, but I still think there's a lot of work still left to be done. So mm-hmm. I, um, based on the conversations I've been having personally and just from my own personal experience, kind of assimilating into the American culture, involving myself in conversations, just like observing as well, I think that there's a little bit of a, we've done well when it comes to overt racism but I still think that there are ways for us to improve and to have conversations around systemic racism. So mm. now that you know everybody I think is on the same page that it's wrong and we should all be treating each other fairly and dignified as a human race, but I think there's still systems and policies that are in place that haven't really been addressed. So they're leaving, leaving a couple of people behind when it comes to the topic of racism. 
Can you give any examples of policies you think should be uh, changed or amended? Yeah, like, I mean, I recently uh, purchased my first home and I know one of the leading topics when it comes to systemic racism is sometimes people of color struggle to buy their first home or they struggle to get a mortgage, for example. Mm. And that comes from, you know, dated policies that didn't allow anybody to purchase a home loan or to, to, to even look at homes. I know there's a podcast I was listening to recently that people were sort of speaking on their experiences as black homeowners. If they wanted to sell their home, they would have to take down all their pictures and their photographs and to make sure their home didn't look like black people were living there. Really? And the appraiser would appraise at a different price. Interesting. Yeah. and. There's a, a similar podcast I listened to where somebody came on as a guest and spoke about how they brought a banker to appraise their home and they were given a different price, way lower than what the market rate was going for for a home in that area. And then the second time they went to a different bank and then they asked one of their white friends to step in and pretend like that was their home and they had a completely different price, maybe like $10,000, 20000 dollars over really so little things like that i think that that's where you start to see things like that systemic racism yeah where you're not really being treated differently because of your race and no one's um there's no racial slurs coming at you but when you look at policy and how to get a mortgage or you know what interest rate you're gonna get for that mortgage um that's when you start to see a difference of treatment based on your race. That's interesting. Wow, I didn't know that uh, that, that was still the case, that yeah. people could mm-hmm. struggle with that. Yeah, a lot of people are still struggling with that. And I think sometimes the conversation, and I don't know, John, you can chime in, but sometimes the conversations are, well, there are black people who can get loans. Like I know John and myself are both homeowners. And so someone can argue, well, you guys are fine. You you managed to get a mortgage. So what racism are you talking about? But there are some cases where other people do go through that. So I think um, both can be true at the same time. Sure. Yeah, sure. I agree with her on that because in the end, like um, individually, our friends and our family, they may not have a direct racist experience, but there are certain processes in which you know, us as being African-American or African or minorities have to work a little bit harder. Uh, for example, I went to Quinnipiac, which was a predominantly um, all-white university in which, you know, first day moving in with my roommates, they assumed that I would be dressed in an urban, very baggy clothes, have an urban, you know, not able to articulate my words. And so when they first met me, they were like, whoa, Oh, I assumed that you were going to speak differently. You know? <laughs> uh, and, you know, you can't blame them, right? It's just exposure. This is something I was talk- talking to my colleagues about is if you're not exposed to another culture, then you won't know and you will assume. Stereotype. That, yeah, stereotype people. Yeah. And so how do we change that, right? And so in reality, the goal is to really, like when you have that moment to meet another person who has not had an experience with a african-american or or a minority person show them who we are right yeah we are individuals we're not a group of people that act the same way you're not the representative of your entire race Uh (laughs) uh-huh which i've heard many times john mitty you represent people very well (laughs) no no i represent my well myself very well (laughs) (laughs) but you know what 
if it makes everybody else look good, that's okay. <laughs> and I'll be honest, I've, I could never even picture you in baggy clothes. No, I can't. <laughs> so, I mean, John is well always fitted. shirt and tie. He's very well like, dressed really, even right now. He's very nice well dressed. blazer on. He yeah. looks great. Clearly just came from work. <laughs> <laughs> even if I wasn't at work, it's still. <laughs> that's right. But it's important. But so, surprisingly, though, you would not find me in a in a, um, pajamas because then sometimes those, we've had experiences where um, maybe a brother came in uh in a location with a pajama on it and they may assume that this person is poor but really he's just relaxed you know <laughs> and so but if the opposite like let's say a person who fair skin comes in the pajama they won't have that same perception hmm. right and so that has happened at quinnipiac quite often you know or in different settings where uh the person's looking the same but there's a different perception of where they come from. So do you guys feel like you kind of have to kind of go above and beyond what most people would consider to be, you know, the standard? Like if I, if I show up in pajamas, it's fine. It's, but you feel like you have to kind of excel and. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think all the, all the time, but as you get older, it becomes a lot easier to navigate. I don't know if that's, we've just grown up assimilating for so long that I think by the time, like for me now, I don't care if I'm in my pajamas, right? I'll, I can do it because I think I've built myself up to a certain level that I'm, I just, it doesn't matter anymore. But I do know like in the workplace, for example, I have to make sure that I'm doing twice as much or I'm working just as hard. Like I know there's certain, like for me, I have to make sure I definitely have my master's or like I don't just have a degree. I have to go beyond that, even if I'm paying for it myself or getting whatever student loans I have to get to make sure that my credentials speak to what my capabilities are. Whereas mm. I feel like um, our other brothers and sisters who may not be a minority don't really have to take that extra step to mm -hmm. get the opportunities that they have. So I feel like all the time we, we're constantly doing more or we, we feel like we have to do more to be recognized or to just be given a shot, or sure. a, a seat at the table. And can you share what it is that you do? Well, education-wise, right? So like do it going ex above and beyond i mean what's like your job oh you mean like what <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, we haven't covered that yet yeah no no <laughs> something very practical it's like what I do, do, what do you do for a living <laughs> i give myself a power speech and i stand in my superman pose uh. and then i go <laughs> <laughs> i admire that <laughs> right <laughs> so i work in learning and development my practice is in organizational psychology so i've just grown up in the organizational development space, working for different companies. I've worked in healthcare, kind of um, looking at their employee experiences. And now currently I work for a consulting company. It's, it's a global consulting firm where I primarily look at the learning and development practices of that firm. So I do internal consulting and I help grow, develop, mentor, coach, um, the senior partners and um, engagement managers of the firm. Mm, that's that's heady stuff. It's mm -hmm. a lot that's of a words. <laughs> I like to say I help people uh, be better versions of themselves. That's that's my job too. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's it that's in awesome. a nutshell. So in your in your life, have you experienced kind of the overt kind of racism, or is it just kind of more the systemic things that you see just in, in culture? I mean, for me, I would say it's more systemic. So going back to the housing situation, right? So if you're born in a house that's owned by you, 
you're going to have neighbors that are just as successful. These neighbors then develop a community. Now, if you're then born in a different settings where there's a low income, less folks know about the opportunities out there, then you're less likely to meet the right people. And so now me growing up in a project housing situation, my friends and family did not know who to meet to help me succeed. So luckily, I had some friends who were in the different settings because of our school system that allowed minorities, people that were more poor, to be with those that had more opportunities that were wealthier to meet. So because of that connection, it opened up more doors. However, those moments, there were moments where people were like, oh, John, you know, I, I know you don't have the money. Don't worry about it. Or, um, you know, they had, they had this perception that, you know, black people are, they don't have the resources to succeed. And so they're going to try to help you out, but not giving the right approach to it. Right. Mm. And so rather than almost like pity, almost pity. Exactly. So, you know, the way we, I had to approach it was, Hey, I'm just as smart. I'm going to be, if not better than you, the same, you know, right. Um, uh, I will show my personality as being a welcoming and kind of creating this atmosphere of like, John Mitty is a guy that you want to be with. Right. And so that is something that a lot of our brothers and sisters have to do to be welcomed part of a group. And so now once you're part of this group, there's opportunities. And if the people are willing to learn more about your culture, then they will be less judgmental. However, if they're not, then they tend to continue this perception of, oh, you must be just like the others. So luckily, mm. because of my personality, I've been able to, um, even if somebody has this perception that I'm, I have, you know, that I'm uh, a black African-American from the ghetto, I give them the perception of, hey, I'm a successful African-American person who is leading a team of people making a difference in society. Yeah. And so because of that confidence, there's less racism that I get directly. However, some of my friends that may not have the same confidence may receive uh, more resistance, right? Yeah. And so even those who are listening, you know, I encourage you to get to learn more about those who are in front of you, not by the color of their skin, but by who they are. Because you'll be surprised, even coming from a different culture, there's so much fruit you can gain from the other person. Like a lot of people learn that I love country music and jazz. <laughs> so then when they found out, Fun they invited fact. me to concerts all day long. And then when they got to know me more, they were like, man, I need to meet more of your friends because you are cool, you know? <laughs> so it's- He is very cool. He is very cool. <laughs> John's very cool. But, you know, and it goes back to God, right? It goes back to also having faith that God made me, put me on this earth for a reason, and I am just like everyone else. I'm a creature that he created to um, love others. And so it's racism hasn't been, since I was a young kid, a direct, something that I've directly experienced because I have this personality that kind of encourages people to get to know me. But- the system itself has been a challenge in which I have mm. had to work 10 times harder to get mm -hmm. into the university that I ended up going to at Quinnipiac. I need to take out a big loan, <laughs> which there was not much support in which some of my friends, they had families that can pay for it. So with the loan that I have to worry about, there's a little bit less options I can take advantage of. Sure, sure. And yeah. so even to get a house that I finally got, it was a, a lot of work, you know? Yeah. I had to make a lot of sacrifices and... You know, I couldn't even do it until I got married because it's just too much even for my family to deal with. Sure. Um, so, yeah. but, you know. You you know. One, one thing you said s struck me because, you know, often I'll drive through 
New Canaan or, mm. or Greenwich or Darien and these these communities which are almost entirely white communities and they'll have these you know these big signs proudly proclaiming Black Lives Matter on their front lawn and I'm thinking to myself how many times have they actually gotten to know people of color you know I mean in in some of these swanky communities they you don't have that opportunity and that's really the best way to end racism is to get to know people to find that what you have in common is far more important than what, what divides us and mm. yeah you make a good point though. Um, Surprisingly, I, I I would have to say because I I did visit some of those houses, <laughs> and I found out that some of them actually have some relationship with folks in the community. Yeah. Um, oh, good. So they're Especially more. Darian. Yeah, but you know, even though there are some folks who do have the relationship, not everyone does, right? Yeah. And so the overall community may have this perception of like, oh, you know what, you know, I love them, I don't have any issues against them until. I'm being put in a situation where they are impacting my community as in like, let's say if a person was moving to my my neighborhood, then I would develop this concept of, oh, is he going to lower my... Right. My, I, I'd, be, you know, I'd be curious to see if Greenwich would be okay with us putting Section 8 housing mm. in, yeah. Actually, in Greenwich. Right? Greenwich like, has yeah. Yeah. It does. Maybe, maybe Greenwich has yeah, it, yeah. but Darien does. does not. Yeah. And New oh, Canaan okay. does not. So, I'd be surprised. Westport does. Does Westport? Yeah. Yeah. Surprisingly, mm. I found out. But they have affordable housing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, but it goes, okay, so I have something good for you guys. So <laughs> I found out that recently Norwalk is doing a program in which they're allowing, they're going to be funding students to go to any school around Wil- Wilton, New Canaan, Darien that they choose. And then they will fund for that. To, uh, um, so then they grow opportunities. That's equitable. Mm-hmm. It's very much. Yeah. However, the community resisted. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, they were like, whoa. I'm paying all these taxes. Who are they to come into my community and, you know, change who we are? And so we, I definitely encourage that community to bring them in, you know, to be welcoming because you'll learn a lot and it'll help the kids grow and um, be more exposed to a different, diverse group of people that will help them kind of relate to different cultures where, wherever they go, end up in different schools. So then they don't have those moments of, oh, I assume that you speak this way or dress this way but rather oh you know what you know your brother i want to get to learn you know who you are and Mm. um because i know now brothers are the same (laughs) definitely you know definitely yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. and i think what you mentioned earlier on that really resonated with me john is the fact that not everybody has kind of the same thinking until it's in front of their house Mm. so a community can say we're not racist until they're confronted with an opportunity to welcome somebody in. Mm. And then all of a sudden you see the tension, right? And so I think it's the conversations that are happening right now with the Black Lives Matter movement. It's all fair and fine to say Black Lives Matter, but until you have to go and march or until you have to have a conversation with your children, then there's, oh, why should I talk about this in our homes? This th- There is no racism. And so you see this like tension between uh, acknowledging and just receiving people for who they are. And this, um, I call it, it's almost like a gaslighting of, mm. yes, you know, we are not racist or we do not believe in, in systemic racism or we don't think it's happening. But at the same time, when you're confronted with it, to address it and to really show that brotherly and sisterly love to another person who looks different than you, then it's all of a sudden not on my Porsche. We can, you can do it over there, but yeah. not 
on my porch. Some of that I, I wonder is is not so much based on the color of the skin, but the different cultures. Because yeah. I mm-hmm. I grew up in Maryland, and Maryland is an interesting clash of cultures. Where I grew up, because um, I'm in Western Maryland, mm-hmm. where you had you had these extreme rednecks. I mean, and I say that with all charity because I mean, some of my best friends were rednecks who hunted and had three teeth and, you know, wore flannel and everything. And, and But then you also have people that are wealthy and educated. And, and a lot of times those two groups did not get along, mm. you know, and it was more of a call. It had nothing to do with skin color. We were all white, but mm-hmm. but it was the culture difference. Yeah. That, Classism. There's this there's thing we yeah. call isms in, in my practice and in, in psychology we talk about isms a lot and isms can be anything that divides a group of people. So racism is just one of them. Mm. Um, but you do get classism. You do get even ageism. There's sure, certain sure. Um, neighborhoods. I, I'm sure even there's older people. My dad is visiting right now and he's in his 60s, walks around downtown Stanford and he's just like, I don't know what is going on. I don't know anything about any, <laughs> you know, so... You know, there's there's certain there's a lot of isms around us as a community, and I think as a society, we have to be okay with being different, and we have to be able to talk about our differences and love one another in spite of those differences. Definitely, definitely, yeah. You know, a lot of times though, people say, um, "Well, I I don't see race." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, is that first of all, is it possible to not see race? I mean, unless you're truly blind, mm-hmm. um, and and is it beneficial? to not see race because in my perspective I see race and I recognize how good it is that God created diversity. I'm glad you mentioned that because if you ignore race then you're actually hurting society and kind of um, preventing yourself from getting to know a different group of people that can help you understand the, the society that we live in. And so going back to race, race is not only the sc- color of the skin, but also, you know, the language you speak and the country you come from. But it's something that if you really go to an African-American community, for example, you can learn that this group of people actually have a diverse culture within themselves. And sure. Yeah, like so, black people. Mm-hmm, We're yeah. not all the same, by the way. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I'm sure being from Africa is very different than being an African-American. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And there's even tension sometimes between those two worlds, mm. um, uh, Africans and African-Americans. I listened to a podcast with two um, young ladies who one is from Africa, one is African-American. And they're trying to have those conversations now because there's historical tension between the two groups um, Mm. because one accuses the other of not understanding because the heritage doesn't come from slavery. And then the other one is also not understanding because maybe they're not as empathetic to the psychology behind growing up as an African-American. So there's really interesting conversations happening right now between the two groups. Hmm. And so it's not only uh, white, black, there's just differences even within the black community. Hmm. We're different, we have different cultures and we all should be celebrating that and and embracing one another, so. I spent uh, three years at a Hispanic parish in Stanford, St. Mary's, and and I learned very clearly that the Guatemalans and the Peruvians do not get along. (laughs) (laughs) And the Colombians and Ecuadorians, like they all got their own. Yeah. Yeah, so the the language unites them, but that's really about it. Yeah, in Africa too, we have tribalism. You know, it it depends what tribe you come from sometimes that's prioritized or there's, there's elitists. There's tribes that are a little bit more 
more um, important or they're seen with more grandeur and they're given all the big jobs and, you know, they handle all the money in the country. And then there's other tribes that are not. So mm. I think um, mm. it goes back to just treating each other with the dignity and the respect um, that we're all human beings at the end of the day. It doesn't matter what tribe, what culture, what race, and all of the fun-isms that we, we like to differentiate one another on. Yeah. Well, then that, that leads to the final question I'm going to bring up uh, for this episode. We're actually going to continue this on another episode. But uh, how can Catholics then help end the sin of racism in our society? Because we know that racism is a sin. We've, mm. The church has taught that always, and, and it grieves my heart to see that it's still present. So how can we help to end that? I can give a, a first thought. So, uh, Father Joseph, I've heard you say this before, and um, I think just having the awareness of the nature of it as a sin is like a very good first step, right? Because I think most of us aren't looking at that sin in our own examination of conscience, right? Or, you know, if you go through the Ten Commandments, right? It's not something that we often think about, and I think where we grew up here, John, at least Stanford, I'm from Greenwich, you don't encounter racism much, direct racism, like you can easily think it doesn't exist, so it's not even in your consciousness, but um, just being told that, that it's a sin, right? And I think it's um, the devil, right? The devil always wants to divide, so anything, all these isms that Sakile is mentioning, anything that he can take to turn us against each other, he's going to use, right? And he's going to try to infiltrate our mind, our thought, our feeling, oh, that person can't be better than you, oh, this person that, da-da-da-da-da, and it's, it's always coming at us, so we have to be aware of it, I think, first, I don't know, and then go from there. I mean, one thing that I did, um, so during the BLM movement last summer, there were all these posts, right, on Instagram and everything, and I'm not a poster. I don't, I don't see how posting something helps. That's just my personal way that I am. I don't post about anything political. I'm trying to do my little part to post a little bit more about my faith because I think that's important and even that's a big step for me. But anyway, but I had a friend reach out to me who was sharing stories and stuff and I felt like she wanted me to be posting like I'm a part of this movement. And I just told her, I'm just going to pray, hmm. you know, like pray for healing, pray that we can recover, pray that we could recognize this sin because um, I, I can't do anything. I, I don't feel like posting is going to help, but I can give it up to God, right? or try to do my small part through prayer. So that's how I've tried. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's really that. beautiful because I think, Lauren, you're doing something right now. And so for me, I think as Catholics, just being open to the conversation and listening to one another, I think there's a lot of talking happening mm. from so many different sides and we're getting polarized in this conversation. And so I think if we just mask down and just have open dialogues with each other, that's the first step, I think, in terms of the Catholic Church on how we can start making just even baby steps towards ending um, the sin of racism. Because I think it starts with shying away from the conversation. Mm. It starts with, because that's what the devil wants. The devil wants us to be embarrassed and shy within our sins. But if you are open and, and you're right, examination of your conscience and, and really digging deep and saying, why does this upset me so much? You know, when someone talks about privilege, why do I feel attacked? Why do I feel defensive about that? And really being um, vulnerable in that conversation, I think that that forms those baby steps to how we can, as a community, attack that sin together because we can do it on our own. 
Um, and so just being open to the dialogue and having the conversation is a great start for me, I think. Yeah, yeah. and also to add to that too, it cannot be political. You know, we're Catholics are not one side or the other. We have to understand that we are a community that loves and we're here to do good. And to understand the cultures that we come that we're um, integrating with, and that will help make a big impact in the um, stopping of racism as a systemic issue um, in yeah. large. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for both of you. And we're actually going to uh, have another episode on this topic with Sakile and John. So thank you both for joining us. And thank you, listeners, for joining us on EWTN Radio, 1350 AM, and also wherever you get your podcasts. Thank tune you so in, much. Tune in next time. All right.